uh, through the book of 1 Peter. Just, just one verse today, okay? Just one verse. Uh, and I want you to know, I, I, uh, every week when we open God's Word, I, I mean, I just, there's a reason why we do it. We just open it up every week and just talk about it. And, and I believe that God is always speaking. Um, and I know that He does. I hear week to week of how it encouraged people and um, how it met them where they're at. Uh, and so when God's Word is open and His people are gathered, um, it's not because of me, it's not because of you, it's because He's good and He's faithful to meet with His people. He speaks. But there are certain times where I don't really know how else to put it other than I just really feel like God has a word for us. Um, and, and this morning is one of those times. And uh, I was feeling that already this week. But then in our time of prayer this morning, I just felt like it was really affirmed uh, just through a little article that Paul read that he usually just shares a little devotional thought or whatever before our prayer time and, and just the things that were being prayed. Um, and I, and I, I say, I just want you to know that. I just want you to know that I feel like God has a word for us here this morning. And, um, and again, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying because I don't, I don't think it's necessarily more important than all the other Sundays, because I believe they are, but I just think that there are times where God just really wants to do something in our hearts, and, uh, and I want us all to have faith to believe Him to do that for us this morning. Here's the one verse, okay? Pretty simple. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Usually I read more verses than one, but since it didn't take that long, let's read it again, okay? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. <clears throat> Here's my question to you this morning as we get started and we just look at this one verse from God's holy word. Is how much this past week have you thought about the condition of your soul? How often this past week have you thought about the condition of your soul. Peter is a pretty good pastor. He wasn't perfect, um, but if you know anything about Peter's story and his commission um, by Jesus after he had failed, after he had denied him three times, um, and then in the midst of that brokenness and in the midst of that failure in John chapter 21, that's when that's when Jesus calls him, and remember, he asks him three times, and do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And each time, you know, he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Uh, and Peter, as a good pastor here to the people that he's originally writing to and is to us this morning, here's what his concern is, and this should be the concern uh, of any good shepherd and for each one of us as disciples of Christ, is what is the condition of your soul? What is the condition of your soul? And... 
I just have a great burden this morning that I think many of us live this life, and not just this life in the world, but even this life as a Christian, continually more aware of and continually more concerned with a lot of other things other than the condition of our soul. And I know it probably sounds basic, but first and foremost, um, before we really look at what Peter's saying here this morning, we just need to come back and recalibrate ourselves to the reality that, guys, there is nothing, there is nothing more important this morning for your own personal joy and for the glory of God than the condition of your soul is that you are not just a body, okay? But there is an unseen, eternal part of you that is going to live forever somewhere. But I'm not just talking to those of you that don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not just talking to those of you that, that, that aren't sure that if you would die today where you would spend eternity, although I am talking to you as well. But Christians, what is the condition of your soul this morning? Have you thought about the condition of your soul at all this past week? Or has it all just been outward in this world while your soul is being destroyed? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he said, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, and he's talking about God, almighty God, Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says this. Here's here's the logic behind that command. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. In being an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus also said this. He he summed up the entire Christian life in what we're to do. One of the Pharisees asked him, they said, you know, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What's the condition of your soul this morning? What has been the condition of your soul this past week? And the reason I'm so concerned about the condition of your soul is because what Peter tells us in this one verse this morning is that there's a battle, there's a war going on for your soul. And if you don't acknowledge that the battle is going on for your soul, that makes no difference. Your soul is still engaged in the battle. It's just that you're not actively engaged and your soul is probably getting destroyed. It's probably getting torn up. So to just ignore it and say, well, I I don't really want to deal with that. I don't want to acknowledge that there's a battle. Well, it doesn't matter. Nobody is abstained from being, can abstain from being in the battle. It's just whether or not we're going to be actively involved in the battle. Uh, And guys, God is so, God is so good to give us his word that in this passage, as well as many, many, many others, He's concerned about our soul. Very briefly, I don't have time to unpack all of this, but just so that we're on the same page a little bit. Um, Historically, when talking about human beings in the church, uh, historically, 
uh, theologians have kind of, you, you either fall into one of two categories, and, and it's, there's good people on both sides, but you have what's either called dichotomy or trichotomy. Dichotomy is just simply that there's just, just two parts, I mean, two, there's the outer man and the inner man. Um, and it's just kind of more of a general way of just there's, there's the body and then there's the inner man of the heart. And that's true. Um, I would lean more towards what would be called trichotomy, that there's not just the outer man and the inner man, but that the inner man is divided into two parts, that there's body, soul, and spirit, okay? Um, and again, this is, I'm throwing a lot at you here, but I'm just letting you know where I'm coming from as I'm talking about this this morning. I don't have time to build out the foundation and show you why I believe all this. But, um, but I believe that we're body, soul, and spirit. I believe that if you've been born again, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and, and indwell you, is that your spirit is now made alive and perfect forever. And your spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that God raised us up and that you are seated with him in Christ in the heavenly realms. So just like Jesus is in heaven, and again, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, the Bible says both these things. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, but Jesus also lives in my heart. Okay? I know that's hard for us to grasp, but that's what the Bible says is true. In the same way, I'm here on this earth and my spirit is in me, but my spirit is also seated with heaven in Christ. Okay? Both are true. Your spirit is alive eternally. It's perfect. That part of you is completely made new. Okay? Your body is wasting away. Someday after we die or Jesus comes back, we'll receive a new body. But the soul is, is kind of like this, 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 this middleman. And you have this kind of this fleshly soul, and your soul is then made up of three parts, your mind, your will, and your emotions, um, that, uh, as we're going to see here this morning, gives into these fleshly desires, or your soul can be in obedience to the spirit coming through your, through your mind, will, and emotions, out then through your body, and loving people in the world, and living the life of obedience that God, that God calls us to live. So, does that make sense? I know I just threw a lot at you there in a little bit, but I just want to let you know that when we're talking about the soul this morning, um, I believe what it's talking about is, as you break that down, is our mind, our will, and our emotions, uh, just to kind of lay a groundwork as we, as we talk about this. But here's, here's what Peter says, is that there's a battle going on for your soul. There's a battle going on for your soul. Um, and this battle, and what I want to do is just point out a few observations and then just give one very practical um, kind of action step for us at the end. But first of all, this battle for your soul um, is not a battle with demons, but it's a battle with desires. Okay? It's not a battle with demons, but it's a battle with desires. Now, l listen carefully. For those of you that are familiar with the Bible, um, the Bible definitely talks about the demonic. It talks about angels and demons in the spiritual realm and attacking you, and, and th that's very real. Uh, and because we believe the Bible, we believe that to be true. Uh, it's not a fairy tale, it's, it's a spiritual reality. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when I say, though, in this verse that the battle is not against demons but with desires, I'm not saying that there's not a battle with the demonic. I'm just saying that's not specifically what Peter is talking about here. Peter would not deny that there's a battle with the demonic. My point is just simply that primarily what the battle that Peter is talking about in this one verse is a battle not with demons but with desires. 
Again, look at the verse. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from, here it is, passions of the flesh. Passions of the flesh. Okay? Let me break this down. The word passions uh, comes from the Greek word epithemia. And um, here's why I say that. The Greek word themia, it's, it, it's, kind of, it's a compound word. The, the word themia, it, it literally means passion or heat or almost to the point of boiling. Okay? So there's an, there's an intensity, a passion, a desire. But then when you put the prefix on it, epi, epi means over or upon or above. And again, the reason I'm breaking this out is not just to sound you know, smart with the Greek or something, but, but the weight of the word, it, it's not just a passion or a desire. It's like an overpassion. It's an overdesire. It's super intense. And what Peter's saying here, again, just trying to give us a grid for the reality that we all face, is that even as Christians, people that have been born again with born again, made new spirits that are now perfect in Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, that there are still these passions of the flesh that live inside of us. And here's the implication, is that just like I said earlier, you, you can't, nobody can abstain from this battle. Like even if you, if you don't acknowledge that it's true, doesn't mean that it's not true. You're still going to be engaged in it. You're just not going to be engaged in it in a healthy, vict victorious way. Is that guys, you can't get away from this. Because it's not outside of you in some ways as the demonic is, although that, you know, plays into you, but it's, it's inside of you. These passions, and they're passions of the flesh. And the word for flesh here uh, is a word that's used throughout the New Testament. The Greek is sarx. And it's, it's this idea of having an animal-like nature or an animal-like tendency. And so again, this is informative for us and helpful for us in being obedient to this and watching the condition of our souls because maybe you're not aware this morning that because of your sinful nature, because we were born into Adam when we're all born, and we, had, we inherited this sinful nature, conceived in sin, each one of us, even from, from our mother's womb, is that you have an, a mindless, animal-like tendency inside of you. You can say, that's not true, and I say, just watch the news. Just watch the news that all over the world you see evils being committed. Um, but you don't just have to watch the news, right? Each one of us this morning is aware of our own hearts. And each one of us is aware of our own souls. And each one of us is aware of the places this past week where we have not just done evil, but where we've done evil and then we've tried to hide it. We've tried to cover it up. And nobody else might know but you know, and God knows. And the, the real symptom of an unhealthy soul, of a soul that's getting torn up in this battle, is not just a soul that gives in to sin. We all do that. I'm not saying so. I mean, we, we, we need to overcome that as well too. But the real sign of a sick soul is when you give in to sin, but you make intentional effort to cover it up, to hide it. Um. Uh, we all do it. I know it's not comfortable to talk about, uh, but Peter wants us this morning to pull back the veil and to be honest, and for each one of us to take a look at our souls, what's going on. This battle is not with demons, it's with, it's with desires, these passions of the flesh, these passions of this animal-like, uh, mindless, darkness that lives inside of us. The, the Bible would testify to this over and over, just let me give you some more Bible. James chapter 4, 
Actually, let's go to James chapter 1 first. It says, let no one say when he's tempted by God, I'm being tempted by God. Or let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James chapter 4 as well says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people do not know that friendship with the world is enmity uh, towards God. And guys, we have all these passions, and I, and I don't know, you know, um, I don't, I, we can never give ourselves any excuse uh, for the world in which we live because Christ and his great and precious promises and the presence of the Holy Spirit that he gives us and the good news of the gospel, it is always enough. It is always enough. It is always enough to live victoriously. Uh, but I, I do think you can make a case that throughout history, we live in a society in this day and age in the West, in America, that where, I mean, if this was true back then, <laughs> for Paul and, and for Peter uh, and for the people in the New Testament, without their iPhones and without all the technology and all that stuff, it's definitely true, true for us. Um, Jesus, in kind of the granddaddy of all the parables that he told, the parable of the sower, remember he, he talks about the sower goes out to sow seed, and it, it, it lands among four different types of ground. You've got You've got the hard ground, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground, which are conditions of people's hearts. And this is the condition of the thorny ground, what the thorny ground represents. Mark chapter 4, he says, um, he says to the ones that were, the seed that was sown among the thorns, he says, they are those who hear the word, listen, and they, and they hear the word, they, they receive it in some measure, but, listen, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and I love this one, and the desires for other things. It's pretty broad. The desires for other things, they enter in. And what do they do? They choke the word. They squeeze it. It's a frightening condition that in some measure the word has been received Yes, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, I asked Jesus into my heart. But there is no fruit in their lives. There is no fruit on the vine. There is no life. There is nothing that is honoring and glorifying to God. Why? Because desires for other things, whatever those things may be, have entered in and they have choked it out. And the reason that the desires are allowed to enter in is because we love it. Because we still have this part of us that is broken and not fully healed yet. And the exhortation of the Word of God and of Peter this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit is that, brothers and sisters, we have to abstain. We have to fight against it. We have to say no. We have to be intentional. And my question to you this morning is, this past week, as you look at your life, or this past month, or however big of a chunk of time you want to look at, 
Are you actively engaging these passions of the flesh? Now listen, here's the other observation from the text, is that this battle, it's not just like a sniper sitting back and every now and then just kind of picking you off. That's what the devil does. That's, that, that's kind of the imagery in, in Ephesians chapter 6 of the devil. He shoots these fiery arrows. He's just waiting. Uh, got him. And he kind of snipes us. But that's not the imagery here. He says these passions of the flesh, they wage war. It, it's the idea of a military commander gathering an entire you know, unit or, or whatever, however many soldiers, and just a full frontal assault against your soul. It wants to destroy you. And again, this battle is going on inside of you. And it's why Jesus didn't come just to just kind of tweak us or just to modify us. He came to kill us and then to raise us back up. He came that we might be crucified with him. That we might live eternally too. And because there's a part of us that has to die. It's why, again, in that verse I read earlier, that if anybody wants to come after him, we need to take up our cross, this instrument of death. We need to take up our cross and to follow him. And it's, it's waging war against our souls. And, and Peter's concern for us and my concern for us this morning is that as this battle wages on, not just out there but in here, that our attitude is just kind of like... <whistles> and we're just kind of taking a walk in the park. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's not true of you. Maybe that hasn't been true of you this past week. Um, but maybe it has. And again, God in his mercy and in his grace and in his kindness to us, if I just had to sum up what Peter's saying here when he says, when he says to abstain, here's all he's saying. Wake up! Wake up. Guys, we've got to wake up. Because I'm afraid that the condition of our souls is that they're just full of bullet holes. And they're just tattered and torn up. And to be clear, I don't think there's anybody, any Christian that wants to stand up and say, well, that's never happened to me. Um, but what the Word is saying is that that's not where we have to live. It's not where we have to live. And the reason we don't have to live, is the battle going to go away? No. The battle has to be fought, and it ain't stop until Jesus comes back. Sorry if that's a bummer for you, but that's the truth. Until he comes back and he makes all things new. But we have to stand and we have to fight. And victory is possible, guys. Do you believe that this morning? That victory is possible for you to overcome your besetting sin? And it's possible because of the gospel. It's possible because of the great and precious promises that God, that God gives us in his word. But we have to be willing to engage. We have to be willing to fight. If you guys have ever, anybody who's ever helped coach a sports team of any sort, of, you know, kids, um, there's, sometimes when you're, when you're coaching kids, 
It's like, uh, you know, you, you spend time with them every day consistently in practice. You know, and there's good days and there's bad days. And, you know, sometimes kids, you know, it's kind of like they're just kind of out to lunch and in la-la land. But there's other days where they're fully engaged and you know what they're capable of. You know what they're capable of. And as a coach, there's nothing more frustrating when it comes to game time then. And then you start the game and they're just kind of, I don't know how else to say it, they're just kind of in la-la land. You know what I mean? Anybody ever, yeah, and they're just kind of like, going through the motions, you know, and I'm a basketball guy, so, you know, if they're, you know, they're making a pass, but it's a lazy kind of lollipop pass, and it's not hard. They're not making good cuts. They're not, you know, they're not checking out, you know, when a, when a shot goes up to get, to get the rebound. They're just kind of, they're just kind of going through the motions. And I don't care how talented you are. I don't care, you know, how good of an offense you have in play, what your, what your game plan is, all the X's and O's. If you don't put in the effort, you're not going to win. And guys, that is true for the Christian life. Is that you guys know here, like, man, we talk a lot about grace, and rightfully so. Because the grace of God is everything. It's absolutely everything. But understanding the true grace of God causes you to fight. And if you have a definition of grace, that causes you instead just to sit back and chill and go and just be in la-la land, then you're not rightly understanding the grace of God. The grace of God always causes you to fight. I can tell you don't believe me, so let me read quick from Titus, okay? Titus says it as clearly as you could ever say it. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared. What's appeared? Grace, right? The grace of God has appeared. Listen, it brings salvation for all people. And what does it do? Listen, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Did you get that? What appeared? The grace of God. What does it do? It trains us to live godly lives, to renounce worldly passions. And so if we're touting some sort of uh, grace that doesn't actually motivate us to try to live godly, to not just be in la-la land, but to engage, to give our best effort, to pursue the kingdom of God and what he set before us to pursue in his mission, in making disciples and in honor and bringing glory to his name throughout the world, at the same time fighting this battle, against our souls, then we don't rightly understand the grace of God because that's what the grace of God does. Do you follow me? And so as we examine our souls this morning and all that goes on inside of them, uh, we also need to examine maybe the theological positions that we take that just aren't true. It's just not true. Is a part of God's grace forgiveness of your sin? Absolutely. <laughs> and praise God for it, and it won't ever go away. <laughs> First John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But even the way that John talks about it, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
And this is how we know that we've come to him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. What are you saying, Eric? Sinless perfection? No. Not perfection, but a different direction. That we change and we pursue obedience because Christ paid a great price uh, to allow us to pursue that obedience. So, the battle is within us. It's not with demons, it's with desires. We can't escape it. The war is continuous and it's intense. It's a full frontal assault. And it absolutely requires that we fight, that we abstain, that we hold our ground um, in the battle for our souls. And I've said this already, but now let me unpack this a little bit. Here's the good news, is that victory is possible. Victory is absolutely possible. And it's possible because of what Jesus did. And I want to explain this, and then I just want to simply give you just one very specific action step to take to help you win the battle for your soul. Victory is possible through the gospel, and it's there in the beginning of the verse. Again, we don't need to go outside of this verse, although we could go many different places. The very beginning of verse 11, Peter says two things, um, just in this short little sentence, and this is the good news. This is how we fight. Here's the good news, is that we are loved and we have a new identity. Beginning of verse 11, he says, beloved. That word beloved, he's, he, it does, um, this word throughout the New Testament is always used. It, yes, he's saying that he loves the people he's writing to, but he's also reminding the people that he's writing to and to us this morning that they are loved by God. They're loved. They're loved. Guys, you are loved this morning. You win this battle for your soul not by saying, Jesus, I appreciate all you did. I got it from here. I'm thankful for what you did, but I'll take it from here and I'll do my best. You will get blowed up every time. But the way that we fight is by reminding ourselves that God loves us. And then secondly, and more specifically, he says, I urge you as what? As sojourners and as exiles. Sojourners and exiles. How many of you want to be a sojourner or an exile? Says that's what I thought. Not many of us were kind of like, uh, is that really good news? Yes, it is. Here's why. It's because the reason that you're a sojourner or an exile on the earth is precisely because God has made you a citizen of heaven. That's why it's good news. But here's the thing. You have to embrace both. And, and guys, I, I don't know how... How else to say it? I'm not trying to be, I mean, obviously this is like a hot topic thing or whatever, but I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a perfect illustration, is that like, just like our society says that there's like a third option now, like there's men, women, and then transgender. That, that's not real. Like we've made up a category for it, but the Bible's clear. God created them both male and female and you're, you're, you're one or the other, and we like to just make up a new category and say that, no, I can be both, or one or the other, and then, or one, then one, then the other, whatever. Uh, we can play that game, but it's just not true, okay? In the same way, 
In the same way, in the West, in, in Christianity, in America, we've kind of made up this new category. Like the Bible gives us a category. If you believe in God, you're a citizen of heaven, and then you're also a sojourner on earth. We like to make up this other, or you're an exile on earth. We like to make up this third category where I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm a citizen here on earth. I can love Jesus. I can say heaven is my home, but I can also make myself fully comfortable here on earth. That category does not exist. And just like we do with human sexuality, we can play games and we can pretend and we can say, no, 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 I can have both. No, you can't. Nor can I. It is a lie. To be a citizen of heaven and made so by the precious blood of Christ that he paid so that we could have that gift means by direct implication that we are also exiles here on this earth. And it's good news, even though it kind of rubs us the wrong way. And guys, if we're going to do battle for our souls, if we're going to win the battle for our souls, if we're going to have souls that are whole and that are healthy, then we have to embrace this part of our identity. We have to embrace that to be a citizen in heaven, to be a citizen in the kingdom of God, to be a child of God means that we are in exile here on the earth and that we cannot love the world or the things in the world. Because if we do, just as I said earlier from that parable of the sower, these, these desires for other things are going to choke out our souls to where, honestly, here's the thing that's so terrifying about, about that parable of the sower, is those people that are choked out by the weeds what happens on the day of judgment? Like, I'll be honest with you, I think the Bible and I think Jesus leaves it kind of ambiguous for a reason. What happens? What, what happens to these people that, that honor him with their lips but their hearts are far from them? Are they the people that Jesus said there'll be many on that day that say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and do many great works in your name? And he said, I, depart from me, I never knew you. See, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But that not knowing is supposed to terrify us. And it's supposed to cause us to turn and to examine our hearts, to examine our souls and say, God, Lord Jesus, please make my soul whole. I want there to be fruit on my tree, in my life, for your honor and for your glory. But in order to do that, we have to, we have to embrace this identity as, yes, citizens of another world, but exiles here. Um, Hannah and I are in the process right now of the early process of trying to buy a house. We've been renting for the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, if you guys know my wife, you know, she was set up at the vintage fair this past week and had her little booth and has her little store back in, back in Winesburg. And, you know, she's a little Miss Queen decorator lady, you know. Um, our house always looks nice. Uh, but we've been renting for the last couple of years, and she's made it look nice, you know, even though it's not, it's not fully ours. But there are some things 
that we've just not done, that we've just not invested in to make that our home. Because listen, because it's not. <laughs> it's not our home. And so to fully invest and make everything just the way we would want it to be would be foolish because it's not ours. Uh, but we already have plans, Lord willing, that if you know, everything goes through here and we buy this other house, of all sorts of things that we're going to change. All sorts of investment that we're going to make. Um, all sorts of things that we're going to make just the way we want them because that's our home. That's, that's where we're going to live. And I think you guys see the, the parallel. Is that guys, in the end, we so work against our own joy. You work against your own joy when you try to make yourself at home here on earth and give absolutely no care to the thought of your soul. Jesus wants your soul to be whole, to be, to be healthy. Um, and it's possible because of what he's done. And the way, again, that we gain victory is by simply reminding ourselves of this truth. That's why Peter, in this text, what's he doing? He's reminding them of this truth. Again, he's giving this, the command is abstain from the passions of the flesh. But how? Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, he's reminding them of their identity, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. You remember last week, the two, like there are no two richer verses in all of Scripture than chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter just rattles off in rapid machine gun style all these things that are true. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we're God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's showing us here how to abstain, how to fight this battle. You preach the gospel to yourself. That's how we overcome. But here's the one practical action step. I just want to end with this. Cold turkey. Uh, and uh, we'll just be done. And if you don't choose to do it, that's okay, but I really think it will help you. Okay? In the battle for your own soul and the assault that's going on there for each one of us. Is I want you to find at least two people, two people, in your life that you can call or you can text at any time, day or night, that you can call or you can text and you can say, brother, sister, preach the gospel to me right now. Tell me, remind me of who I am in Christ. Do you have somebody like that? For me, I'm blessed. I think we all have it. And again, that, that, that's it. If you were thinking there was going to be something more profound, that's, that's it. That's all I want you to do. Like, is that, is that, yeah, that's it. But I'm telling you right now, it'll help. I've got the elders. I've got a lot of people. I've got my wife. But I've got a, I've got a good friend, Merv. Um, you guys have heard me talk about Merv before. Many times I, t I tell stories about Mervin. Um, but uh, I don't mention him by name. But usually most of my illustrations are things that, he and I did uh, back when we lived together or near each other up in Canton. We were doing inner city ministry and used to have the roofing business together and stuff. Um, but Merv's probably one of my best friends in the world. 
uh, doesn't attend here. Um, but uh, I talk to him. I talk to him almost every day on the phone at some point or text him or something. And, uh, and, I, and I just want to be honest with you. Like, I, and, I, and I want you to know that like, even as your pastor, guys, I have this and I couldn't survive without it. Is that Merv's a guy that I can call up at any time and he does the same thing to me. He'll call me. And at times, although we don't always use this exact language, here's what we say to each other. Just preach the gospel to me. Tell me again about who I am in Christ. And always, whenever I ask him to do that, he reminds me of what's true about me because of what Jesus did for me. That he has no problem telling me, Eric, remember you're loved. Eric, remember, you're a child of God. Eric, remember, God has called you to be holy and to be godly. And he's called you to victory. And the victory is yours in Christ. And he can call me and ask for the same thing. And I'll tell him the same thing. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that before. Because I know one of the things I'll say a lot is, you know, and I just said it a little bit ago, that we preach the gospel to ourselves. And man, that's important. I promise you this morning, I can't tell you, for whatever reason, it just kind of comes and goes. I think some of this is, you know, demonic attack and not just desire attack. But there are certain Sunday mornings, guys, I'll be honest with you, where I don't want to get up and preach. I feel like a failure. Um, I feel exhausted. I feel like I really don't have anything good to say. I feel like I don't have anything that'll, that'll uh, make you laugh or be engaging or whatever. Not that that's what I really aim for, but at the same time, you know, I mean, you sit here and listen to me for 45 minutes every week. I ought to at least try to not be boring, right? But there are certain Sundays where I'm just like, I, I got nothing. And man, this morning was one of those Sundays. And I literally, this was my prayer. I'm not lying. I'm not trying to exaggerate in any way. But I literally got up this morning as I was laying in bed. I said, Lord, I'm swinging my feet down onto the floor just in faith in faith that you'll meet me, that you'll meet me again today. So what was I doing? I was preaching the gospel to myself, that God is always faithful. And for those of you that attend here regularly and call Mercy Hill home, uh, as one of your elders and pastors, and one of the things we're constantly doing is just evaluating the culture of our church. Um, is, guys, something that we do an okay job of, but we have so much room for growth. So much room for growth. Is that whenever somebody enters this building, or we're together in a small church during the week, or at the E2 course tonight, or the gospel class, whatever it is that we're doing, youth group, whatever, that every single time we come together, every single one of us, ought to be reminding each other of the good news as it is in Jesus. That if somebody walks in here on a Sunday morning and the only person that they've had tell them that Jesus loves them and that there's hope, if the only person that tells them that is me from this pulpit, then I want to tell you something. We failed. We failed. It is the job of every single believer, disciple of Jesus Christ, 
to be involved in their local church in a way that they are regularly speaking the truth in love. And the truth in love is the truth as it is in Jesus. The truth that he loves them and cares for them, and we need to be reminding each other of that. Um, worship team, you can come up and we'll close. I've kind of gone way off script here at the end. But uh, again, guys, it might not sound profound, but in everything that we talked about this morning and in thinking about our souls and in winning the battle for your souls, I want you to find two people that you can call or text at any time. You don't need to explain. They're not going to ask for an explanation, although maybe sometimes it will just because they love you, but that you can just say, brother, remind me of who I am in Christ. Sister, preach the gospel to me. Remind me of all, the, of all that Jesus has done for me. And then as we close, I just want to remind you of the words of Jesus. That this morning, as we've been thinking about our souls and, um, and just the condition of them, uh, is that Jesus, um, one of the greatest invitations that he ever gave was an invitation to your soul is that Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and tired, heavy laden, for, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. And here's, here, here was his offer, here was his invitation. And you will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls. And the invitation I wanna give this morning is just simply that if you are, if your soul is tattered and torn and full of bullet holes and you feel like you've been losing the battle, the good news this morning is that, guys, you can come. You can come and you can come to Jesus and you will find rest for your souls. Just come in faith. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and sing because I have no idea where the juice is for communion.